Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary, Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include an interview with Megan Sinclair, millennial home buying expert on current millennial sentiment and living trends, an update on selling loans to the agencies, and what the Fed minutes from the July meeting tell us about the path of rate hikes. Today's podcast is presented by Agile, tech that democratizes MBS trading. Agile overturns manual processes to unlock the potential of an electronic marketplace, digitizing the historically phone-based communication process to support both TBA trading and MBS pooling. Because Agile is browser-based, lenders can request trades from any device, anywhere. Agile users experience an average improvement of 1.6 basis points on their TBA trades after implementation. Agile's digital platform makes it convenient to request more competitive bids on more trades. Add in a robust network of dealers and insightful reporting for a whole new experience with the MBS market. To learn more, visit trade-agile.com. Today is World Breast Cancer Research Day. Global recognition of the life-changing research, past, present, and future, to end breast cancer. That would be nice. What is also nice, so far, is the lack of name storms in the Southeast. Lenders and servicers, and of course homeowners, in the southeast, dread hurricane season. Back in May, NOAA's outlook for the 2022 Atlantic hurricane season, which runs from June 1st to November 30th, called for an above-normal storm activity. But the prediction, like interest rate predictions, has so far been wrong. And it has been surprisingly quiet to date, thankfully. In the housing market, things are also quieting down somewhat as the summer season winds down. Or is it due to recession fears? Only time will tell. Meanwhile, every week I receive questions about market dynamics and individual lender performance. How much did X produce last year? In which states? What is their product mix? What was their growth year over year? Where can I access this data? There are various dashboard products, but the latest is Gallus's new data visualization tool that provides answers to such questions and much more, including multi-year trends for all market participants. For the link to that story, visit Rob Chrisman. The demand for mortgage loans in the secondary market helps drive the rates borrowers see. And part of that, of course, is the safety and soundness of the companies originating those loans. The Federal Housing Finance Agency, or FHFA, and Ginny May issued a joint announcement of their updated minimum financial eligibility requirements for sellers and servicers and issuers yesterday. Prompted by the changing nature of the U.S. housing finance system, these enhanced eligibility requirements reflect Ginny May's and FHFA's shared goals to promote confidence in approved issuers and seller servicers and improve the safety and soundness of the U.S. mortgage-backed securities ecosystem through all economic cycles. The updated eligibility requirements represent an ongoing commitment to the safety and soundness of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac by strengthening the capacity of seller servicers to meet the financial responsibilities associated with doing business with the enterprises. Said FHFA's director, Sandra L. Thompson, FHFA and Ginny Mac's efforts to coordinate on financial eligibility requirements provides greater consistency for enterprise seller servicers and Ginny May issuers. End quote. The effort is still being analyzed, although some initial thoughts were that risk weighing on mortgage servicing rights will do nothing to help banks stay in the loan servicing business. 
The vast majority of seller servicers and issuers meet the final standards as of the end of the second quarter and over an extended back test 2010. FHFA and Ginny emphasize the need that the standards are not intended to drive out any issuers or seller servicers, and that Ginny and the GSEs will work closely with individual companies to meet the standards and recognize some issuers may need additional time, which they will accommodate as long as good faith progress is being made. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome back to the show Megan Sinclair, a friend of mine, and one of my few friends who's already a millennial homeowner for her take on what's going on in the current market and what her friends are saying about their desire to own homes. So I wanted to get a sense from you living in Austin. The market shot up a bunch in terms of home prices. People were trying to buy, buy, buy. Now things are expensive. Seems like maybe it's cooling off. What What are you hearing from your friends that wanted to buy or that did buy? What What's kind of, what's going on out there? Yeah, people are still wanting to buy, not knowing if it's the right time, but are seeing prices dropping and things sitting on the market for a lot longer than they did the past year. Um, And I think I've noticed I keep getting push notifications on my real estate apps for price drops. So sellers are still trying to be aggressive and uh, people aren't buying it anymore. So they're having to drop their prices. But I think overall people are still too scared to buy because they're wondering if it's going to keep dropping. And if the bubble has burst. You had expressed interest in either a duplex, an investment property, or or maybe changing your primary residence. Where's your head with buying right now in the Austin market? I'm a little hesitant too. Um, I know some people who just bought a house and it seems like a good investment. They were able to negotiate with their offer and get some extra things or some extra discounts um, since the demand is a little lower or maybe really it's just the inventory has spiked because uh, that's something else I noticed that as the prices are starting to drop people are suddenly wanting to sell um, because they're trying to sell at the peak the unknown peak uh, for me I am a little hesitant because of that same reasoning of I think prices are going to keep dropping a bit I don't think they're going to drop a ton um, but I think they'll keep dropping over the upcoming few months do you have financial considerations laid out in terms of this makes it worth it to rent, this makes it worth it to buy at this interest rate or purchase price, I should buy, uh, I'm mapping trends. Have you made it quantitative at all? I don't have anything official because I'm not that cool in advance, but (laughs) I definitely want to make sure whatever I buy, I can cash flow on. So um, especially if I'm not going to live in it, but uh, I've also been comparing uh, rental prices and um, especially living in a downtown life, uh, the rental prices are about on par of what you could be paying in a mortgage for a place with similar square footage. Um, so com- that's my deciding factor. If, it, if I'm living in it, it's could I, is the mortgage payment going to be? less or about equal to what I could just pay in rent. And if it's close, then the, then I lean towards buying. But right now all the mortgage payments are uh, of things I'm looking at are a bit higher than what I could pay in rent for. And usually the rental places have better amenities. 
I look for that cash flow opportunity if it's my if I'm renting it out to others. Yeah, and I guess also there are other investment opportunities where your money can can uh, appreciate rather than putting it in real estate. So if if something like Tulsa, Oklahoma versus San Francisco versus San Francisco, San Francisco is seven times as expensive as Tulsa, Oklahoma. You think it can be argued that it has seven times the quality of life? How do you how do you decide? Hey, if I live thirty minutes outside of downtown, it's going to be one third the price. But my life is my life going to be three times worse? Yeah how how do you think about that? Yeah, good question. I don't know what life in Tulsa, Oklahoma is like, <laughs> but and I don't know if I want to know. It sounds pretty cool. My aunt lived there once, but for me. It's about what priorities are, uh, and everyone's priorities are different. And um, I drive a car that gets 10 miles a gallon by choice, uh, and now's not the best time to drive that car. So I don't like to drive a lot, and I want to live somewhere where I don't have to drive a lot. Um, But some people don't mind that one-hour commute. I hate commuting, um, and that's why I decided to rent out my house originally a few years ago. It's because I was over-commuting pre-COVID life when we had to commute. And yeah, so I think it just determines on the person's priorities. Uh, For me, it's being in a walkable area, being close to places to eat, drink, hang out with friends, exercise. So um, I value those things and won't, won't invest in a place unless it's near those things. How much do you let a job determine your living situation? Would you move for a job? Would you turn down a job if they wanted you in the office full-time and it meant going back to commuting? I know you recently switched companies here. Uh, how those factors play into your decision? Um, yeah, I think answer would have been different a few years ago, but now that remote is so widely accepted, at least in the tech industry, which is where I work, I don't think I would take a job that requires in-office every day. And uh, I think everyone else, everyone has a personal opinion on that. Some people love going into the office and hanging out with people and getting out of the house. But for me, I love the flexibility of being at home or where I want to be. I travel and work remotely from the beach or wherever I want to go. Um, And I still get my job done and I don't have to be commuting to an office and wasting my life in the same place every day. So um, yeah, personal priorities. But for me, that I would not move for a job. And which makes me wonder if I should go back and live in my house that I left because I left it to move closer to a job. But now I think I, the cash flow on the house is too strong that I can't move back into it. So you're saying you're making more on the house than your rent costs. And so it's not worth it for you. Yes. Well, if you were to go through the home purchase process again, or even the, or even a, a refinance process of rates drop down here in a little bit. How would you choose a lender to work with? Would you go with a real estate agent recommendation? Do you have personal banking relationships? Would you just go to, you know, a, a big nationwide lender that you've seen advertisements for? How do you decide? Um, I value money. So I go based off of rate, assuming that the place offering the best rate has a decent reputation Um, So I'll give multiple places a shot, uh, go for like a small bank that I keep my uh, checking account with or uh, a local maybe realtor recommendation and then also compare it to usually a big loan factory 
online type of uh, offer and whoever is going to give me the best, best rate and best offer, uh, I will go with because over time, that's a lot of money. Let's be a little more specific. If you were looking for good rates online, where, where do you start your search? Google. Google good mortgage rates? <laughs> Google good mortgage rates. Honestly, I can't name an online broker that have like a search engine for mortgage rates. If that doesn't exist, we should start it. But it probably exists. So I would find it via Google and then use it uh, to find a good rate. Yeah, I think the problem though with some of some of those type of things, like if you're on Zillow and they have a bunch of lenders listed, it's the lenders that paid the most to be shown rather yeah. than that could show the lowest rate. But yeah, I've talked with friends about about doing kind of a kayak.com for mortgage rates. And, and in addition, it would be great if a borrower or a potential borrower could enter some of their information or allow their credit to be pulled or some documents to be uploaded. And then based on that, when the rates were shown, they were already pre-qualified or pre-approved with those lenders. So the process was already halfway down the road and they could start going shopping with, with a, an automated letter. I think, I think it's a, a great idea out there. Actually, if any, if any listeners know of anything that exists like that, let me know. I want to flip the script. Any, any questions for me about what's going on in the, the housing space? Anything you've been wondering about? Or if any, well, real quick, if any listeners want to start this company with me, give me a holler. <laughs> uh, I'm, I work in the tech industry and I'm ready to start a company. Um, but hey, the Zebra is an Austin startup and they do the same type of thing, but for insurance. And they've been very successful and had a lot of funding. But um, anyways, moving on. Questions for you. Uh, what do you think is happening in the housing market? Is now the right time to buy? I don't think it's ever necessarily a bad time to buy. And maybe that's said with some bias because I'm in the industry. But if people don't like, obviously home affordability isn't great right now with with the the appreciation we've seen over the last couple of years and the interest rate rises we've seen in 2022. But I actually just bought this summer. I, I think first off, if your investment horizon is long enough, it's not like your home values are going to decline. And and second off, if you don't like your rate, refinance in a couple of years. It's not like rates are going to stay high for forever. And so I think getting in a house sooner than later is is never a bad idea. In terms of people, I have friends that are staying on the sidelines and saying, oh, I'm waiting for the, the market to crash. It's going down. I would say there's not enough supply, both in terms of new construction out there due to, to labor and supply shortages, and also existing homes for sale because a lot of people refinanced into a 3% 30-year fixed rate. So right now they're saying, even if I could get a lot of money for my home, why would I sell? Because... I'd have to go out and get a new home at a at a five percent thirty year mortgage rate, and boom, now I have to pay a ton more interest out there. So, so there's no yeah. there's no incentive that way. Uh, That's exactly my situation. My current rate is two point eight, and why would I leave that when I'm cash flowing on the house on a two point eight rate? Yeah, I'm with you. Um, also, the uh, my friend has a saying. He's a realtor here in Austin, and uh, maybe it's common saying, but he says, marry the house, date the rate, because you can always switch your rate. I think that's a great point. And also, I would I would add that, uh, and this isn't really mortgage related, but you, know, you can change anything about a property except its location. 
you know, like the house on a, on a location, tear the house down and build a new one. I get that that's expensive, but uh, falling in love with a specific house rather than the amenities it provides or the, or the uh, convenience factor of, of being there. Uh, you know, you have, you have time to, to make things into your dream house. Uh, and, and so, yeah, a nice new architectural modern build looks nice, but if it's in a subdivision in the middle of nowhere, you know, that's not, that's not so great. My friend is actually going through a house renovation right now, and she decided to move out of her house and extend uh, a new master suite and completely gut the kitchen and redo all flooring through the house and everything, paint. And it's taken a whole year to complete because of lots of various reasons of permitting and uh, bad project management and supply issues. Of They ordered nice uh, like designer interior features and getting them shipped in was hard but uh, at this point she wishes she would have just torn down the house and rebuild from scratch because it probably would have been faster and uh, they would have a brand new house (laughs) i'm like what are you advocating for here um well and they've spent so much money having to live somewhere else for a full year yeah true while while their own house gets rebuilt but well no the fact you can tear down a house and you can uh you can rebuild your dream house just, and you can always change your rate. Cause I think she also refinanced when the rates dropped. Do you think there are added difficulties in owning properties in multiple States rather than just in one state? In terms of having investment property, like if you were to do short-term rentals, I think there's economies of scale of having the same cleaner or handyman in the same city. Uh, I think if you have, if, if you're talking longer term rentals, and you have a good accountant, I don't think it, it necessarily is a is a deal breaker. It is the added hassle of setting up your maintenance networks in those cities and making sure if something goes wrong at the house, you have people that can take care of it. Also, if you've lived in Texas for a while, you know the Texas real estate market, you feel comfortable with things. If you want to buy a house in the middle of nowhere in Nebraska, you might not have as good a lay of the land out there. Are you interested in something yeah. specifically? No, just one of my friend advocates for buying in investment properties in smaller, uh, more affordable cities uh, and not trying to go for things in Austin or places like Austin. Yeah, I think a good move is actually smaller college towns, you know, like a Missoula, Montana or a Tucson, Arizona, where you're going to have a continuous supply of renters. You don't need to have that nice of a place they can kind of beat it up and it'll be okay. And uh, you can keep, you can keep increasing rent because the turnover is high like that. Yeah. Well, that's another question. How do you increase your rent on a good tenant who's been there? You don't, or you, or you lay it out beforehand and say, Hey, look, I'm going to increase rent at a steady 5% year over year rate or by the the median increase in, in property values for this metropolitan area. Uh, and you lay it out beforehand because if if you have a good tenant, they've been nice to the place, they make their payments on time, and you go, you go back and say, "Hey, I'm going to increase your rent by ten percent." You know, it's not going to sit so great with them. So I think I think setting clear boundaries and having good communication at the onset is is the way to do that, and having things spelled out in writing too. Yeah, it's something I wish I would have done a bit better because now my HOA has gone up, my taxes have gone up, my Maintenance costs are going up. 
I think if you have, if you have a logical tenant, you can, you can say, Hey, my maintenance, my HOA, my taxes have gone up. I'm passing those costs onto you. And they, they shouldn't too dismissive of it. Uh, because I think that's, I think that's very fair. It's not like you're raising rent for the sake of lining your own pockets more. You're, you're just trying not to cut into your bottom line. Yeah. That's the goal, but they are good tenants. So it's tough, tough decision. It is tough. Uh, well, thank you for making the time and talking to me. Always a pleasure to join the Krisman commentary. (laughs) (laughs) Bond prices once again pulled back yesterday, thus raising rates, largely due to the release of the UK's inflation report showing its consumer prices accelerating to 10.1% year-over-year, a pace not seen in 40 years. Fortunately, US consumers are standing firm in the face of inflation and rising interest rates as consumer spending persisted in July across most discretionary categories. Retail sales, excluding the drop caused by falling gasoline prices and slowing car purchases, rose more than expected last month. While the headline figure was flat, U.S. retail sales are not adjusted for inflation, so on an inflation-adjusted basis, sales were up year-over-year. Yesterday afternoon brought the release of the minutes from the July Federal Open Market Committee meeting, confirming the Fed's data dependency. There was no talk of MBS sales or the size of September rate hikes. A lot has happened since the meeting, but officials in late July continued expecting ongoing increases to the Fed funds rate. Though many expressed concerns about potential over-tightening and expressed the need to eventually dial back the pace of rate hikes. The committee members also wanted to gauge how their monetary tightening was working toward curbing inflation, and most believed that the bulk of the effects from higher rates have yet to be felt due to the transmission lag. The minutes noted little evidence that inflation pressures were subsiding, with some feeling that policy would have to reach a sufficiently restrictive level and remain there for some time. The bond market had been hoping for a Fed pivot, which was at least partly behind the decrease in rates since mid-June. Today's calendar is underway with weekly jobless claims, down 12,000 to 250,000 with continuing claims in at 1.437 million, and Philadelphia Fed manufacturing for August, which posted a big jump to 6.2, an upside surprise. Later today brings existing home sales from July, Freddie Mac's primary mortgage market survey, a treasury auction of $8 million of reopened 30-year tips, and remarks from both Kansas City Fed President George and Minneapolis Fed President Kashkari. Today's MBS purchase operation from early payoffs, the last of the week, sees the desk in UMBS 30, 4% through 5% for up to $776 million. We begin the day with agency MBS prices better by an eighth, and the 10-year yielding 2.87% after closing yesterday at 2.89%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Thanks to Carol Kay for passing along waiting for a package. With UPS, your package is in your city on a truck driven by Mike. It will arrive on your doorstep at 6.27 p.m. today. With FedEx, it's your package is coming. You'll get it when we get there. With USPS, it's what package? With Amazon, it's, we are already inside your apartment. Check the bathroom. And with Facebook, it's, we know that you were thinking about ordering a toaster yesterday. Here are 20 ads for toaster ovens. (laughs) Thanks again to Agile, the mortgage industry's MBS fintech, bringing the mortgage capital markets into a new digital era. From lenders to dealers, Agile is the new way to quote MBS. Visit trade-agile.com for more information. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com.
Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcasts from.